By the way, uh, if you if you're not on our Discord community, I want to encourage you right now. Join our Discord community, y'all. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. I want to encourage you to join our Discord community. And maybe you got on here and you weren't on our Discord community, but you're on my YouTube and you have subscribed to my YouTube channel. Well, this is something we do regularly on Discord. It's just that we've, uh, for this week, given my schedule, it seems like YouTube may be uh, a good option for us, you know, in the times when I'm out of town or I'm traveling and it's just easier for me to facilitate our time together where we can not only read the word, but we can read the word together and engage in it together. So this is what we call the read and rant, where we spend 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture and we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the scripture. We'll spend closer to 20 minutes today as we're getting to the close of the book of John. We've been journeying from Matthew, and now we're all the way in the book of John. If you've been with us from the gate, we've got the OGs up in here. The OGs have been with us since the first round when we went through the entire New Testament, and then we went through the entire Old Testament, and now we're going back through the entire New Testament. And so um, for those of you who've been with us from the beginning, if you've, if you've missed any of it, then fam, you're here. You can join the Reading Rant podcast or Discord, or, or sorry, not Discord, but Patreon, where all the episodes are available to you, and you can go and read through the entire Bible along with me. What we do when we read, and this is not a Bible study. We'll say Bible study for Bible study. This is just a Bible reading. This is just my invitation for you to journey with us in the reading of the Word. I believe that when we read God's Word, it transforms us. It transforms us. It feeds us. It helps us. It uh, restores us. It refines us. It makes us into who God wants us to be. Reading God's word is one of the most powerful, powerful endeavors a believer can, can engage in. And we do that with prayer. We prayerfully read through the scriptures. And as we prayerfully read through the scriptures, we're praying. And as we pray, we ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question we ask. The second question we ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question we ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And so today, as we ask those three three questions, we're going to read through uh, John chapter 19 and John chapter 20. And then maybe we'll read 21. Just get, get the whole thing done, right? Just do the whole thing. Who knows? We'll see where the Lord leads us. But um, we might just finish the book today. Might just finish the book of John today. So that's exciting. Um, We'll pray and then we're going to get right to it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege to come together, Lord, from different areas all around the world. And maybe there are those of us who are attending this live and participating in this live. And there are those who may be participating in this later, Lord, through on the podcast or Uh, through our Patreon community. Father, I just pray that you would bless each and every one of us at whatever moment we read this word today, Lord, let it do something in us. Let it change something in us. Lord, bless us today as we engage in your word. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do it, fam. Chapter 19, it says this. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put him, they put on him a purple robe. 
Then they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into Praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Then Pilate therefore heard that saying. He brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out with they cried out with him, away with him. Sorry, they cried out, away with him. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Verse 17, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also a tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from top, from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided his garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross, Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the disciples pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood came out, blood and water, sorry, came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe for these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who had first came to Jesus at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb, which in which no one had laid or had yet been laid. And there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken away. Sorry, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. <clears throat> so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first, John. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and a handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed, for as yet he did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting 
one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the disciples, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Goodness gracious. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger in here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have a life in his name. I'm going to stay right there. We're going to close out the book of John um, on Friday. It'll be a short time of reading, but then just a time of overall reflection of the entire book itself and what it really speaks into. But I just wanted to take a few moments to to talk about this portion of the scripture, this portion of the text, as we see Jesus' final hours on earth. So many stories here. I mean, if you're a preacher, you could preach this for days. (laughs) 
Like if you're a preacher, you could preach this for hours. If you're a preacher, you could preach this. You could you could set up a three to four month sermon series on this portion of the scripture. I mean, I'm just letting you know right now. I look at chapter 19 and I read that little sliver from the beginning. Ah, uh, the story of the soldiers marking, mocking Jesus. Ooh, and what about Pilate? And his inter- interaction with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. There's like three sermons in there. <laughs> three revelations in there. And then you've got the story of Jesus who's on the cross and the soldiers mocking him and tearing his garments and the fulfillment of all that God had planned. This is actually the climax of what Jesus came to do on the earth as he dies on the cross. And we see so many pro- things proclaimed there. So many things there that we could, man, we could talk about that all day. We could talk about the disciple whom Jesus loved, how he loves to refer to himself in third person, which I always found that so interesting in this text. We can see even in verse 28 in chapter 19, where Jesus gives up the breath and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus didn't lose his life or he was killed in the way that we would think it. No, Jesus gave his life. Jesus was intentional. I just want to just want to give a quick little pause right there. Please, when you see and read the story of Jesus in these final days, do not read it believing that this was a man who just bad things were happening to him. You're not looking at a powerless man. You're looking at a powerful man. You're not looking at a man who things were happening to him. You're looking at a man who was was very much in control of what was happening. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew when it was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. And Jesus still stepped into it. There is power in humility. Notice in the text, he humbled himself. That's what, that's what Paul says in Philippians. He humbled himself and made himself obedient to the death of the cross. He chose this. See, it's the difference between when you've been humiliated and when you are humbled or when you humble yourself, sorry. When you've been humbled or humiliated, you have no control over that. You are reacting to what the perception of the world or how people see you to be um, your whatever the consensus is concerning you, your character, your background, your story, your history, whatever it is. Being humiliated is when they've disparaged whatever it is that you have projected yourself to be to the culture, to the people who are around you. But when you humble yourself. It's because deep down inside, you know who you are. And because you know who you are, you don't feel it's necessary to prostrate or push yourself up. As a matter of fact, true power comes when you humble yourself. Yes, true power comes when you lay yourself down. People who know who they are don't feel like they have to tell people who they are. People who know who they are don't feel like they have to prove themselves to anybody. When you know who you are, man, you're comfortable with people not even 
recognizing whatever it is that you are because you know who you are. You are who you are. Nobody needs to tell you or affirm you about who you are because you already know who you are. When you know who you are, you don't need the people, please. When you know who you are, you don't have the temptation to have to always push yourself around and prostrate yourself. When you know who you are, you know that it's bigger than just your accolades or accomplishments because there's something deep down inside of you that says who you are. That's the thing about this. I mean, that's the beauty of all of this. The beauty of all of this is that Jesus is not one who does not know who he is. Jesus knows who he is, is in full control of what he's doing. And when these things are transpiring in this moment, this is the true exercise of power that he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, became obedient to the death of the cross, not because he's a criminal, but because he has an agenda. Jesus is in control. When we read this text and next time you watch a movie on the passion of Christ, please do not look like, don't look at a powerless man who doesn't know what's happening to him, who has no control over what's happening. No, no, no. This is a man who's fully in control. Man, you start looking at the passion differently when you see that this is a God who's actually with an agenda. Oh no, he's confronting death. He's confronting shame. He's confronting guilt. He's confronting it all. He's stepping into it with all authority. And yet authority doesn't always look like what we make it. I've learned that the people who always have to push their titles on people, people who always feel like they have to push their accolades, people who always feel like they have to present their resumes to you, tend to be the people who really don't know who they are. They still have yet to esteem themselves through who they truly are. And so the only way they judge who they are is based off of how people perceive them. Jesus ain't that guy. Jesus steps into death. He steps into sin. He steps into the ugliness of the world. He steps into what we would see as humiliation. We stepped, he steps into all of that with intentionality. He humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, ready for this? And because he's in control, then we know that he had power over whatever it is that transpired in that moment. Jesus is stepping into death because he has power over death. Jesus is stepping into condemnation because he has power over condemnation. Jesus is stepping into misjudgment and misperception because he has power over it. Jesus is stepping into the agendas of the powers at hand and the powers that be because Jesus has power over it. Jesus is in control. This is how the king rules. He says, it is finished. I'm done. <laughs> like, I did what I came to do. I'm done. That is not a man who is powerless. That is a man who is powerful. Whew, when we learn that true power happens in submission, my God, 
True change happens in humility. Healing to the world, transformation in the world happens when we actually lay our lives down. Jesus didn't rule with guns, knives, bullets. Jesus didn't rule with manipulation. Jesus ruled with sacrifice. And man, if we can learn how to rule like Jesus ruled, my goodness, how the world would change if we would just get over ourselves. But to get over yourself, you have to know yourself. To get over yourself, you have to truly believe who you are. And many of us here, we don't really know who we are. We're in a season of discovery. We're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to figure out my calling and my purpose. And I'm trying to, and because we're meandering through this life of figuring things out, we find ourselves looking to affirm who we are through who what people say we are. Somebody has to see it in me for me to see it in myself. Yet the word of God tells us everything about what we need to know about who we are. I'm sorry, I'm ranting y'all. But that is what we do, isn't it? <laughs> oh man, Jesus is pierced. His body is buried in an unused tomb by a secret disciple by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a man of renown among the Sadducees, a man who's doing well for himself. But of course, even then, he was secretly following Jesus because he could lose everything following him. And the contribution that he makes is that even though he's a man who we really don't know much about him, but we know that he had let Jesus borrow his tomb. And of course, Nicodemus, another who is a disciple in hiding, assists him in burying his body on preparation day. I got a lot I want to say because this leads me to the next part. And to be quite honest with you, it's going to be a two-part thing because I'm going to talk more into this on Friday when we close out this book on Friday, because this is going to lead us right into the book of Acts. It's going to lead us right into what happens when we live out a different kind of Jesus. If you notice anything that I'm doing right now is, is I'm hopefully you guys can see what's happening is I'm trying to present and represent Jesus to you. For some of you, this might, might be your first time hearing Jesus this way. For others, you may have heard Jesus in various ways. You, and so this is a new way for you to see Jesus. For some of you, you've never seen Jesus presented to you at all. Maybe you've seen the Jesus pieces. You've seen the crown of thorns. You've seen the art in the museums. You've seen people say about, you know, say who Jesus is. You've seen people, you know, tell you, well, Jesus was this and Jesus was that. They probably told you Jesus was white or they told you Jesus was black or they told you Jesus was Middle Eastern or they tell you that Jesus was. And so you have all these people who have all these opinions about Jesus, all these things that they have to say about Jesus. We all have, have something to say. 
so many people have something to say about Jesus. And of course, Jesus has been associated with a lot of things that don't actually have anything to do with him. And so I'm here to represent him to you. I'm here to represent who Jesus is because when we read this text, John is representing who Jesus is. John even tells you what the purpose of his book is. Up to this point, we're all saying, we're going to get to what this book, what the purpose of this book is. I don't know if you guys remember that, maybe like a week or two ago when we started reading through John. I said, we're going to get to what the purpose of this book is, like why John wrote this book. And it says it in John chapter 20, verse 30 that we read today. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But now look what he says. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let me break that down today. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the disconnect happens for many people. This is where the rubber meets the road or where the rubber doesn't meet the road, where it should meet the road. This is where the connection either happens or doesn't happen. And for folks who've grown up in church, growing up in church is not enough. Growing up in church is not enough for you to know Jesus. You can get to know Jesus in growing up in church, but plenty of folks grew up in church and don't know Jesus. Growing up in a godly home, your mother was a deaconess. Your father was a deacon. Your mother was a pastor's wife. Your father was a pastor. Your, you know, your mother led women's ministry. You know, your father, you know, was an elder in the church. You can, you could use all of that all day. You could have grown up in a Christian home. That ain't going to do it. That's not it. It may help, but that ain't it. There may have been an environment to allow you to have gotten to know Jesus, but that ain't it. And there's so many who've gotten to one point in Jesus, the ideas of Jesus, the doctrines of Jesus. Yes, the Christology and the, the, the Christological implications and the Christophanies and through the texts and the theologies and the Christologies and all the different ologies. And you could have studied it and gone through the depths of the riches of this text. And even though you've gone through all of it and still end up missing it, you can have ideas. But the question is, do you believe You can know, but do you believe? You can have a lot of great ideas about Jesus, but do you believe? Discipleship is not just acquiring a whole bunch of information. Discipleship is so much more than that. And what John is writing in that, in those two verses, he says, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So the whole purpose of everything that John wrote here in this book 
was that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Good. Got it. That you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. We've been talking about that for a long minute about how John over and over brings emphasis to the divinity of Christ, that he is the son of God. We did a whole Bible study on Patreon about what does that even mean for Christ to be the son of God? Is he like his son, like a father, like a son is to a father? What does that even mean? What does that even look like? Go check it out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Isaac Frey. We ain't got time for that right now. We talked about all of that. We've been journeying in all of that. But notice the last part of this. And this is the purpose of John. And that believing you may have life in his name. Goodness gracious. Not knowing believing. Because knowing will give you information, knowledge, add more data to your brain. That's what knowing does. Believing transforms you. Knowing informs you, believing transforms you. And a lot of people are trying to know more, know more, know more. What God is asking is that you will believe. And that's the part that's hard for people. The knowing part isn't hard. It's the believing part that is. That you may believe, not that you would know the story, not that you would memorize everything Jesus said, not that you would know all the things that Jesus did, all that's good and all, but that you may believe. Believe, fam. Believe, fam. Knowing about Jesus ain't going to get you nowhere. Knowing who Jesus was, knowing what he did, knowing his teachings ain't going to get you nowhere. Knowing without believing means nothing. Because knowing doesn't transform you. Knowing doesn't change anything. Ah, but believing does something in your heart. Believing transforms your mind. Believing changes you in a way where through believing you become. You cannot become unless you believe. And many people are too busy trying to become things that they are not yet fully convinced in their soul about. I'm just going to back this up for a minute because, uh, again, I'm ranting, ranting. All right. So just stay with me. All right. Stay with me. I'm getting to my point. Getting to my point. I promise. All right. You guys already know. Set the bar low. Believing, believing, believing. The problem today is, is that people think that they're void of information. If I, if I have more information, then I'll live a healthier life. If I have more information, then I'll have healthier rhythms and patterns. If I have more information, then I'll be a better husband. If I have more information, then I'll be a better father. So we cram ourselves with information. We go to conferences. We go to all these meetings and then we find ways to like get ourselves all hyped up. So we find motivational speakers who will just get us going and get us all riled up because, you know, motivation speaking gets me excited and then you do it and you do it for like two weeks because the reality is is that all you were given was a bunch of information and maybe you tickled a little of emotion into that but it was just information with a little bit of emotion sprinkled in information and emotion does not lead to transformation faith does 
And the thing is that a lot of folks who find themselves stuck, the problem is, is that they have a faith issue, not an information issue. It's not that there's something you don't know. It's that there's something you have yet to believe. Let me say that one more time. It's not that there isn't something you don't know. It's something you have yet to believe. Yes, believe. The problem is you don't believe it yet. So you're here reading books on how to be a better mother, reading books on how to be a better father, reading books on how to be a better husband or how to be a better wife or how to be a quote unquote better person. But the reality is deep down inside, you don't believe it yet. So you read, you read, you read, you cram your, you cram a whole bunch of information into your head. You try to memorize as much as you can. You take all the notes you can. You go to all the conferences you can, and then you come in and out of it. 10 years later, you're the same person you were when you came in. And then you start thinking, is there something wrong with me? Maybe it's me. I, I guess it is me. And the problem is, is you always believed it was you. Yes, you never believed in who you are and who God has called you to be. Faith is what transforms. Knowledge just informs. And a lot of us get stuck on thinking, I just, I just need more information when what you really need is faith. That's actually what you need. And maybe your prayer needs to change. It's not something you don't know. It's that there's something you have not yet submitted. There's a conviction in your heart that has not yet awoken in you. So you're, you're sitting there trying to press into this new purpose, this new identity, this new being, this new thing, and you're just stuck. You're stuck because you actually don't believe it yet. Isn't it funny? How there are those with less information and it's faith that transforms them. It's faith that makes them become who God has called them to be. Believe. Because what does believing do? What does it say in that text? That believing you may have life in his name. The life that Jesus has called you to cannot be lived without believing in him. The life that Jesus is calling you to requires you to believe. That is the requirement. Faith is the requirement to step into the life that God has called you. John writes this because he says, I'm going to tell you about this Jesus so that you may believe because by believing you will have a life in his name, in his identity, in who he is, that a new life would be birthed out of you through believing. Unfortunately, many of us are still trying to know more and God is saying, you have to trust more. You have to believe more. The true exercise of a life as a believer and transformation that follows it comes out of faith. It is faith that precedes transformation. Faith precedes transformation. Let me say that again. Faith precedes transformation. Faith precedes that new identity in Christ. For a lot of you, it's not a doing problem. It's not a practice problem. It's not a creating boundaries problem. It's a faith problem. faith problem.
let that be our conviction today. The issue is our belief. Our ability to believe. <laughs> the disciples give testimony to Thomas. And Thomas says to them, unless I touch the holes in his hand and the holes on his side, if I don't feel that print in there, I can't believe. Jesus gives Thomas a grace that we will not have. Jesus shows up to Thomas in bodily form and allows Thomas to touch his hands and allows Thomas to touch his side. And Thomas says to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the purpose of the book of John. <laughs> so when anybody ever asks you, what is the book of John about? Boom, there it is. That you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is God. That he is the son of God. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us that we beheld his glory, that this word that became flesh, the revelation of God is the light and the life of all men that through this word, through God dwelling with his people, that all will be brought to life and live a new life in him. Jesus came to dwell with us so that we can dine with him and live a life in him, through him, for his glory. That is the purpose of John. That's John in a nutshell. And so when John is writing all these stories that we read, when he gives testimony of Jesus dying on the cross and he gives all the testimony of all the interactions and all the things that happened. And when Jesus performs these miracles and all the challenges and all the um, um, confrontations that he has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all the debate about the scriptures and how they, that Jesus was, was disobeying the scriptures and that he wasn't, um, um, he wasn't honoring the Sabbath and that he was just all the issues that the religious people had with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, get to know me. And John is saying, knowing Jesus is salvation. Believing in him is salvation. And by believing in him, you can live a life in his name. Faith is the prerequisite. Some of us today, that's what our prayer needs to be. Is Lord, help me with my unbelief. I need the Holy Spirit to help me with my unbelief because here I am talking a bunch of talk about Jesus, but I actually don't, don't believe. I talk the talk because I grew up in church, but I don't believe. Yeah, I chop it up all the time, but I, I don't actually believe. No. No, because when things get hard, who do I go to? I go to something else other than Jesus. When things get difficult, I go to something other than Jesus. When my marriage is giving me issues, I go to something else other than Jesus. And it's not to say you can't go to other things, but why have you trusted in those things over Christ? 
tomorrow, I want to reflect a little bit deeper on this as we close out chapter 21. Because we see how Jesus restores Peter. But there's a part of the text that I want to take you back to, which is Mary Magdalene. The story of Mary Magdalene is a powerful one indeed. It's a powerful story. And it speaks to everything that we just talked about today. Is that there are many people who have these perceptions of Jesus. And I preached on this on Easter Sunday. Um, I, I preached on this Easter Sunday. And man, I could have sat on it and dwelled on it. I think I'm going to expand on that tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow, but um, on Friday when we spend time together. Because there are many of us who were still stuck on a dead Jesus. We see the dead Jesus. And so we only know the Jesus that forgave us of our sins, but we don't believe in a resurrected one, not the one that Thomas got to touch. And so we never really live a life in him. Because believing in a dead Jesus leaves us in a cycle of shame and guilt where we have to come back to the dead Jesus to get forgiveness for our sins. And some of us, we've been doing that for so long that we, Jesus becomes a missing Jesus. That's the Jesus that Mary Magdalene confronted. She looks into the tomb and Jesus is missing. And for those of us who've dealt with a life of religiosity and a dead Jesus for so long, we fade away to a missing Jesus where Jesus is not even a part of our lives anymore. Ah, but Jesus reveals himself to Mary. And Mary says, Rabboni, because now he's a living Jesus. And this living Jesus has brought her to life. Faith, family. Faith is what changes everything. And if you can believe, then you'll be saved. If you will believe in Jesus as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior, your life will be transformed, fam. You want life change? Ask for more faith. That's my prayer to you. More faith. More faith. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, with a simple request. For those of us who are here, Lord, who are still Lord, wrestling with unbelief, regardless of what we're going through right now, Lord, there's some of us, the situation of life, the challenges of life have gotten in the way of how we trust in you. And so, Father, I ask that today, Lord, that you would give an extra portion of faith. Lord, help us with our unbelief today. Help each and every one of your children who are here today with their unbelief. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, God bless you guys. Love you guys very much. Thank you for joining us. Again, we'll be back here tomorrow. We'll be spending time in prayer. Again, the link is discord.gg slash opusfrayer. Discord.gg slash opusfrayer. Join us there. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you in any way, please prayerfully consider becoming a patron. It's your support on Patreon that makes all of this possible. And so we're grateful for our patrons who support us. And we're just asking for your help to keep us going. Um, and so <clears throat> if you're interested in supporting us, go to patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. 
Patreon.com slash Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, Frere, F-R-E-R-E. You can also click the link in the profile on my TikTok, in my IG, um, or the link, click the link in the bio, and you'll see other ways that you can support. But we're praying for your support, your continued support. And if, you, if you're not able to support, just join our community. Be a part of what we're doing. And also subscribe to this channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, because we're going to be doing more of these lives and these sessions on YouTube. So I look forward to continuing on this journey with you all. Keep inviting your friends. Tell them to plug in because I believe God's doing an amazing thing in this season and we all get to be a part of it. But today, let it be your prayer. Let this be your prayer. Lord, more faith. Give me more. More of you. More faith more of you. God bless you all. Love y'all family. See you tomorrow.